have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I believe in the kingdom come when all the Yes, I'm still running, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Oh, 
Resurrection Sunday. Today is the day that is worthy to be praised. God is worthy to be praised on this day above any other day. Any other day is a regular day, but it's never one that's worth praising as much as today, as yesterday, as the next day, because God is so amazing. God is so amazing, but he is risen today. So today, above any day, if you're gonna sing, and 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 if you're going to, if you're going to dance, if you're going to move, and I see there's not a lot of room to move in here, because y'all actually listened to our our call to don't come to second service, come to this one. So y'all really showed out and came out. So we thank you for that. But if you're gonna do that today, today is the day to really do it. And we're going to continue to sing. We're going to lift his name and we're going to keep praising him today because he is worthy to be praised. Savior, holiness 
breath filled Jesus' lungs on Easter, and he defeated death. So we gather to pour out our praise to him because Jesus is alive. We don't worship a God who's dead. We worship the God who is alive right now. So welcome to Passion Community Church. We're a multi-site church. We are one church in multiple locations. While we're doing church right here online, people are experiencing the same service in Powhatan, Virginia, in Aylett, Virginia, in Midlothian, Virginia, Fork Union, Virginia, and Farmville, Virginia. Now we're all hearing this amazing live music, and in a few minutes we'll hear a message from our senior pastor. Hey, I'm Mark Tapscott, your online campus pastor. I'm so grateful that I get to celebrate Easter with you today. Now, if you're new, then please take a minute to submit a welcome card. You can do that on our website or just click on the link in the chat. Now, that card is how you can request information or prayer or have a conversation with someone on our team. Now, next week, we start a new series called Now What? You see, today's the big celebration. Jesus died and he came back to life. But now what? What difference does that make for the world or for your life? That's what we're going to be talking about next week. And we hope that you'll be here with us for that. Now, we believe that God has five purposes for each of us. And one of those is to do good in the world. And we all recognize that the world needs more good in it. And we believe that God wants to work through us to make the world better. Now, we're going beyond ourselves to do good for those who need it the most. And recently, we heard that there was a need at an elementary school that's near one of our campuses. You see, the leadership at the school, they're passionately working to serve the community, but they needed a little help. You see, they wanted to create a library space in the school, uh, but they just couldn't afford the bookshelves. And we know that when kids develop a love for reading at an early age, it can change the trajectory of their lives. But first, they have to have access to books. So we decided that our church was going to do something about it. We purchased the shelves, and this past week, our team was there when they arrived. We helped install them, and we converted a former lunchroom into a beautiful library. Now kids have access to books that will make their reading skills their dreams and their worlds expand. Our church is helping change stories because Jesus changed ours. So thank you for investing here and for partnering with us as we go beyond ourselves to do good for others. And if you haven't given here before, we invite you to be part of what is happening through our church. You can give safely online at pccwire.net or just click on the link in the chat. Would you pray with me? God, we celebrate today, Easter Sunday, the, the day that your son rose to life. He conquered death so that we could all experience life through him. And we just celebrate that today. We give you thanks. And God, we also thank you for the gifts that are being made right now. Uh, God, we ask you to take them and use them to multiply them and, and bring glory to yourself through them. And God, we just can't wait to see what you're going to do next. And thank you for allowing us to partner with you in that and for all the people that partner with our church. Uh, to do good around our communities all over. And so, God, we just thank you for these gifts. Bless them, and we thank you in Jesus' name this Easter Sunday. Amen. Hey, now let's head on back into our service that's already in progress. Celebrate and what he's done every day since. Let's pray together. God, thank you. 
it doesn't really suffice for what you did. God, whether we come here because someone asked us to and we're not really sure about church or this is our home, God, it doesn't change that what you did, you did for all of us. So thank you. God, may our worship bless you. May our gifts bless you. And may you do more with them than we could ever hope or imagine. God, we are so grateful to be in this space today. Would you let us hear your voice? Would you be near us now? And it's in your name, your precious risen name that we pray, amen. If you are able, why don't you stand back up? Let's sing one more song together.
You can have a seat, and uh, before before I get started, I just want to acknowledge. There's a whole look. We uh, it's been a great day here at PCC. We ran out of chairs in this one, though. So you filled the room up, and it's so great to see you. And so I just can I just say one word to the folks who are in the overflow room? Thank you, thank you. We are grateful. Uh, we're so glad we we overflowed this place. We prepared for you, and uh, so experience church. We're right down the hall, and hey, have another donut. I mean seriously. We, plenty of donuts. Have another donut. I'm so glad uh, to see you today. You know, Bill Gaither may not be a name that everybody here recognizes. Uh, many people still know who he is, but his fame is fading with age and with time. And yet the imprint he has made has been indelible. Bill and his wife, Gloria, wrote over 700 songs, uh, most of them in the gospel or southern gospel genre, but their music crossed lines and it impacted both the religious and the, and the secular. It's been an amazing journey for them. And in, in 1966, for example, they wrote this little bitty song called He Touched Me, which a guy named Elvis Presley picked up. You might've heard of him. And he recorded it a few years later. The Gaithers won two Grammys and many other prestigious awards. But by far, their most famous Easter song is now familiar to everybody, at least here, at least if no other reason for the last five minutes, right? This is a song that has become part of our culture now at Easter. Anybody who's been to church at all on Easter knows this song. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds. Sing it. The future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Give yourself a hand. As much as I love the song, though, there is one line with fear and trembling that I feel like I need to challenge a little. I want to ask a question of it. I at least want to highlight it just a little. The song begins like this. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. And technically they did call him Jesus. But the implication of the line is that they, meaning people or his parents, decided on Jesus being his name, which is not exactly accurate. And if you, if you come around church, you know, at Christmas or, or at Easter, at Christmas time, you'll, you'll hear this verse. Let me show it to you, this piece of scripture. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she'll give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, I love the Gaithers. I love their music. I just feel the need today to point out that they might have called him Jesus, but they did not name him Jesus. God did. Because that's what parents do, right? Jesus, the son of God, was named by his father, God. And names matter, don't they? 
I mean, those of us who, who've been honored with the privilege of being a parent, we began our parenting journey early on with the sacred trust of giving a child a name. When our first child, our daughter, was on the way and when we knew uh, that she would, was a girl, we, we decided, you know, we had to go through the name choosing process. And for me, that process was easy. See, Susan, my wife, you might not know this, for those of you who know her, is not really Susan. She's really Mary Sue. And she's the fifth Mary Sue. So her mama, Mary Sue, they call her Mary. And her mama's Mary Sue was Mary Sue, and they called her Mary Sue. And on up the, you know, the chain it went. And so when it came time and we realized we were having a girl Susan says to me hey we can cut this out now because let's not curse this child with this it's okay it's all right it can end with me and I said oh no oh no there's no way I'm gonna be the one with the infamous label as the son-in-law who pulled the plug on a six-generation tradition. Your parents already hate me for taking you two states away. Let somebody else be that guy. <laughs> so we named her Mary Sue Ashley and called her Mary Ashley. For us also, in addition to family tradition, having a name that had a root uh, in the Bible somewhere was kind of important to us. And Mary played an itty-bitty role in the Bible as being the mother of Jesus our son Daniel, our oldest son, his name, if you think about biblical characters, it invokes this uh, person in the Bible who was a really devout follower of God. He interprets dreams. He receives visions from God. He's known for his wisdom and his right living. And, and then our other son, our, our last, our youngest, Joshua, that, that name invokes the memory of a great leader of the people of God, the, the guy who said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Plus, the name Joshua is the Hebrew root for the name Jesus. And as our youngest, sometimes Joshua Hughes, thinks he is Jesus, that is. We have to remind him occasionally he's not. Names matter. Your name is tied to your identity. It's why when I train our communicators here at our church, I train them to introduce themselves from platforms like this by saying, I am instead of my name is. Sort of like the line in the song, they don't just call him Jesus, he is Jesus. It, it, lots of names are popular, right? In fact, I did a little research. There are some popular, the, did you know the most popular name in the world is Muhammad? 110, 110 million people have that name. The most popular woman's name is Maria. 61 million people around the world are named, there's, a, there's one here. We, uh, also, if your names are, you can hold your applause, really. John, David, Luis, and Anna, and Mary. Those are all on the list of most popular names in the world. So there are popular names. And then there are most recognized names. The most recognized names in the world sort of transcend time. People like Napoleon, Shakespeare, Mozart, Hitler. And then there are the most feared names in the world which for some reason, which I can't explain, always seem to happen in a triplet. Ivan the Terrible, Jack the Ripper, the Zodiac Killer. But there is one name, one name that is above every name, and it matters. His name matters. Why? I'm glad you asked. 
because his name is above every name. And it's the one name that might be shared by some, but the name, his name, and the most famous identifier of his name is set apart from all of humanity. And ultimately, he is above us all. The scripture says it like this. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is our reason. This is our purpose for being here today. We're here because of one name, and it ain't my name, and it's not your name, and it's not even the name Passion Community Church. That's where you are, but that is not why you're here. Okay, some of us are here because of our mama. Okay. Her name got invoked and it provoked you to get up and come to church today, I get it. But whether you know it or not, whether you intended it or not, whether you wanted it or not, you're here because of the name of Jesus. This day, more than any other, is about him. But if we're really being honest, every day is about him, whether we know it or not. At the core of our existence, as people, as a church, as parents and children, as human beings, all my life and all of your life is built around and built on and built because of the name of Jesus. His is the name that is above every name. At his name alone, every knee will bow one way or another. At his name alone, every tongue will confess that he alone is Lord. He's God, director, He's orchestrator, he's life giver, he's second chance grantor. Jesus alone has the power over death and he proved it on this day. Jesus alone has promises that never fail and his predictions always come true. His love is enduring, his life is the ultimate example of sacrifice. It's the pinnacle of inspiration for us. And all those things are nice to say, but what does it really mean? Who is Jesus really? Paul, the guy who wrote these words here, he wants to tell us. And I think God desperately wants us to know that the entire Bible is pointing to the singular reality of this Jesus. And so Paul gives us a clue to the definition, the reality of who Jesus really is with one word, this word, therefore. I heard a preacher once and now several times since then I say that if you ever see the word therefore in the Bible, you ought to find out what it's there for. And in order for us to do that, we're gonna need to back up just a little bit. So we're gonna go behind the piece we just read. And this is what it says a little before it. It says, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God. Now, this part, this part of the Bible, the second part of the Bible, the part we call the New Testament, the part that tells the story of Jesus and the early church, it was written primarily in Greek, ancient Greek to be exact. And ancient Greek is a richer language than English. Not, not trying to offend anybody. It's, it's just that where we often have one word, ancient Greek will have two or three or sometimes even four words, each one with a slightly different meaning and a nuanced twist. So they can dial in and focus in more on really what they're trying to say where we only have one word and we have to figure out what 
someone's trying to say. So this word right here, this word form, there are two different Greek words for the, for the word form. And one of them, stay with me now, this is gonna mean something in a minute. One of them is the word morphe, and the other is the word schema. And these are both translated as form. Jesus Christ, who, uh, though he was in the form of God, or sometimes your Bible might say nature, though he was in the very nature God, both of these words could be translated that way. But, but these two things, these two words do not mean the same thing. So morphe is the essential form of who you are that never alters. Schema is the outward form and it changes from time to time. It, it's what it looks like. And, and it, it changes over time and with circumstances, right? The, the morphe of a person, of everybody in the sound of my voice, your morphe is humanity. This never changes. We are always human beings, period. But the schema of a person is changing all the time, right? I mean, I'm sorry to say I don't look exactly like I used to. This is one of my favorite pictures. We were in college and I had written a, a song for Susan before she became my wife. And someone caught, uh, snapped this picture of me. I was practicing the song that I had written for her. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, gosh, he has not changed a bit. I know, some people just got good genes. I don't know what to say. Seriously though, that's me, and this is me. It's just that the schema has changed a little, right? The Bible talks about uh, at some point later, I don't exactly know when, I don't exactly know what this looks like, but there is, uh, there is the, the teaching in the scriptures that there will be a resurrection. Jesus will return again, there will be a resurrection, and I will have some kind of bodily form in heaven. That's a conversation for another day. All I'm trying to point out right now is this big question I have, which one am I gonna get? because I really want my hair back. <laughs> so your schema changes over time, right? You're, a, you're born, you're a baby, and then a small child, and then a teenager, and then a young adult, and then middle-aged, and then elderly, if you're fortunate enough to live that long. And, and along the way, your morphe is always human, but the schema changes over time, right? And we could do this elsewhere. We could say, roses and daffodils and tulips and impatience, those all have the morphe of being a plant or more specifically a flower, but the schema is different. The morphe never alters, the schema continually does. Now this is important because the word that Paul uses for Jesus right here, when this word form is the word morphe. That is to say, his unchangeable nature is to be divine, though he was in the morphe God, his essence. However, his outward schema would be changed as he grew and became an adult and moved towards crucifixion and all, we'll get to that in a minute. However, his schema changed, he remained through and through, his morphe, his essence was God. And this is a critical reality for you and me because it goes to the essence of something that you must know and more specifically, more critically, you must face at some point in your life. Jesus Christ was God in human skin. And so you might have heard some other things about Jesus and they might be true, but they're only partially true because Jesus was a wise teacher, but he was more than that. 
And he was more than a moral example, though that's true of him too. And he was more than a highly spiritual person. He was God. He willingly stepped away from heaven's glory in order to come to us, in order to be with us, in order to be one of us. He was divinity in his morphe, clothed in mortality. The everlasting packaged as perishing. All the power of God himself clothed as a nobody from a poor nobody family, from a, de a despised nobody people group, the schema of a nobody, but the morphe of God. This is one of the things that made Jesus completely and totally unique throughout all of human history. He was human and he was God. Now I know this is true. I know it to my core. I've examined the facts, I have studied it for a long time, and I've decided that this is what I believe. And here's the thing, you have to do that too. The decision that you make about what you believe, about who Jesus is, is the most important, most consequential decision you'll ever make in your whole life. It'll determine the outcome of your life here and after here, more than your decision about who to marry or whether to have kids or how many or what to name them or your decision about your career or where you live or a thousand other things that are important. This one is in a category all of its own. And, and here's the thing, everybody decides. Everybody who comes face to face with this notion, this proposition that Jesus is God and that he's alive, which includes everybody here today right now, everybody who's heard the suggestion that this is true, has to decide if these statements that I'm saying are realities or if they're just myths. You get to decide. Paul, the apostle Paul, the guy who wrote the words that we're reading today, he did not initially believe that Jesus was God. In fact, he hated Jesus. And I don't use that word lightly. He hated him. And he hated followers of Jesus. You can read this story later in the book of Acts, chapter 7, there's this account of this guy named Stephen who was a passionate follower of Jesus and the crowd rallied against him and decided to execute him. And they executed people back then or at least one of the ways they did it was by stoning them to death. They just threw heavy rocks at him until he was dead. And at the end of that account, Luke tells us that there's this guy there who was giving his approval to the execution of Stephen. That's the same, that's Paul the same guy that's writing these words. But then that same guy, Paul, he had an encounter with Jesus. After Jesus was crucified, after he died, he had an encounter with the living Jesus, the one who came back to life, the one who was resurrected. And that encounter turned Paul's life upside down because at that moment he knew Jesus was not just a man. He was morphe God. He was very, his, his very essence was God himself. And you cannot come face to face with that idea and remain the same. It, it will have to change the course of your life. So let's keep going. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form, the morphe of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, instead, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He did not consider equality with God. He was equal with God, but he didn't think he should use that. He wasn't going to use that to his own advantage. We all use our position in life, our, whatever, that, whatever that means, 
to our own advantage from time to time. It doesn't have to be manipulative or bad or hurt people. Just sometimes there are perks that come with your role, your position in life. I I started doing ministry 25 years ago or so and uh, learned back then they offer, when you go to the hospital, which I, I spent a lot of time at the hospital back then, they had clergy parking, like special parking for pastors. And it was always near the front door. It was super cool. And I, I took advantage of that. It was super cool. You just park right there. You just walk in the front door. Over time, the status of pastors has somewhat changed. Now they've moved the parking place to like three miles from the front door. I'm just way better off parking with normal folk back here. Uh, some hospitals still have cool. And I'm not asking to change anything. I'm just acknowledging that I, you know, I, I used to take advantage of that because I, because I could. Unless you think you're off the hook. Think for a minute about how you use your position in all of life, in anywhere of life, for your advantage. We do this from time to time, right? Like your position as a parent. When I was a kid, we would sit at the table, and my dad sat at the head of the table, and we laugh about this today, but dad's frequent, he would frequently say, I was the oldest, so, I mean, I always, you know, as old, as all you oldest know, we we get mistreated. We, we, all the oldest got mistreated. We all, we know, we know. Your younger brother, if you're one of the, if you're the baby in the family, you know it. You don't have to say it. Anyway, so dad would, dad would often look at me and he would say, Brian, uh, could you please get up and get the salt for me in the kitchen? It wasn't really a request. And so I was kind of a thing. I was the kid that thought, you know, I, like I, so only one time did I ever say out loud, um, dad, um, you, you're, you're closer to the kitchen than I am. Maybe, maybe, you could, maybe you could get the salt. It was a legit question. It was logical and reasonable. Now, I won't tell you what happened next, but I will tell you it's the only time I ever asked that question. Dad exerted his position as dad, and from that point on, I just said, yes, sir, and got the salt for him. Now, I didn't make my kids fetch stuff from the you know, table, but I did use my position as dad in one other way. I used it to my own advantage. All of my kids, all three of them mowed the lawn. From the time my daughter was old enough to push that mower until the youngest moved out not long ago, I bet I didn't cut my grass five times in 25 years. They all did it. And they all did it with the cheapest, weakest 21-inch push mower that I could find. And no, no frills on that thing like self-propulsion. You don't build character if the mower pushes itself. Come on now. They don't have a lot of chores. My kids didn't have a lot of chores. We were easy parents. If I'm telling the truth, we were too easy. But they all cut the darn grass. And when that era of my life was over, when Joshua moved out, I stood there one day staring at that old abused mower, <laughs> glancing at my one-acre that I was about to mow up and back a foot and a half at a time. I crossed my arms and smiled, left the lawnmower untouched, got in the truck. About an hour later, I returned with my plush John Deere rider, (laughs) hydrostatic transmission, tilt steering and cruise control, even had a little radio in it. My kids, they saw that, you would have thought I'd abused them. Dad, after all those years of hard labor, what is this? I just smiled and says, the privilege of parenting, baby. That's the way that works. Hopefully one day you'll get to find out. There's no harm in that, right? We've all taken advantage of our position from time to time. It's all good. And so Paul recognizes that Jesus is God. He's morphe God to his core God. 
If anybody is entitled to exert divine privilege, it is Jesus. He had the command of the entire force of heaven. He had untold luxury at his disposal. With one word, he could have wiped out all his enemies, eliminated all the opposition. He could have regaled himself in all his royal splendor. He deserved it, but he did none of those things. He could have taken advantage of his position as Morphe God. He had the absolute right. He had the undeniable power. He had the the unquestionable access to it all. But he pushed all that stuff away and he took on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. The word here for servant is the Greek word doulos and it literally means slave. Jesus as God was master, but he became slave. He became servant. And he subjected himself to all of the worst that humanity could heap on him. This is what makes Jesus different. Because Jesus Christ was God in human skin, but Jesus Christ was also God as human servant. One time in a story maybe you'll recognize, Jesus was with all of his followers and he took off his teacher's robe and he got on his hands and knees and he washed the feet of his friends, which is the job, by the way, of the lowest servant. And they argued with him, they protested, but he insisted. He was demonstrating his willingness to serve them. One time he even said, listen, I didn't come to be served. I had all that. I came to serve. And when I study other religions, and I have spent lots of time studying other religions, I find this aspect to be completely and wholly unique to Christianity. No other religion has a God who voluntarily became, became a human being and then voluntarily becomes a servant of human beings. But that's not all. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, the Morphe God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance, there's the schema, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What preceded the conclusion that Jesus would have the name that everybody would bow to is this moment right here. The schema of the man Jesus and the morphe of the God Jesus collided at the cross and the result was death. And right here is where Jesus suppressed his godness and elevated his nobodiness, made himself nothing like a slave. But worse than a slave, Jesus became like a criminal. He became an offense to God himself, not because of anything he had done, but because of what we had done, what I did. He who had the power of God over death became obedient to death. Death's victim, death's slave. And not just any death, but even death on a cross. And Paul points out this last phrase because it really matters. It matters for two reasons. The first one being the word humbled, which is related to the word humiliate or humiliated. 
And that's what crucifixion did. It was the worst kind of way to die. It completely humiliated its victim. It removed all of his dignity. See it with me now. They put Jesus' naked, tortured, ripped, bleeding, nail-pierced body on display on a cross so that the walking crowd who was walking by him could call him names, throw rocks at him, and they did, and spit on him. It was humiliation on a scale that you and I have never known. But it was also brutally painful. Brutally painful. When I meet people, when I get the sacred, invited into the sacred space of, of someone who's going to die and knows they're going to die, they often say, we talk about it, and they'll often say to me, I'm not afraid of death, but I am afraid of dying. And by that, they're talking about the journey toward death, the process that ends in death. And that process for Jesus was void of all of our modern pain management tools. There was no sedation. There was no morphine. There were no opioids. There was no palliative care. There's no hospice. There's just pain. To his core, pain. To his exposed bones and flesh, pain. Like you and I have never known it, pain. Jesus who is Morphe God, submitted to all this for one reason, you and me. More specifically, to rescue you and me from ourselves, from our sin. He was humiliated so that I could be exalted. He was convicted so that I could be set free. He became obedient to death so that I could overcome it. And only after all that, only after the cross and the crucifixion do we get the punchline, the climax, the most dramatic plot twist in all of human history. Only after all that do we get the therefore. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, after the cross and the torture and the humiliation and the abandonment and the death, Jesus, who submitted his morphe as God to his schema as a human, defeated the very thing that looked like it had won. Death could not, in fact, hold him. And while it looked like death had won the battle, it certainly did not win the war. Because three days later, after they put his lifeless body in the tomb and sealed it with a stone, Jesus, the Son of God, prevailed. The stone was flicked by the finger of God like a speck of dirt on your shirt. And who emerged from that tomb that day was no longer the schema of Jesus the man, but the morphe of Jesus, the Son of the living God. And because of all that, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Come on, folks. The implications are powerful. This is the one name that really matters. He is the one who submitted himself to death so that you and I could have life. He is the one who defeated death and rose from the grave. He sees your future. He knows your present and he wants to redeem your past. No other name did what his did. 
No other name matters like his matters. No other name is more powerful, more recognized. At the name of Jesus, the earthquakes and the demons tremble. At his command, life is created. And his invitation, you and I stand today in the presence of the one who is Morphe God. He is God in the flesh. He is Jesus.
Jesus the most powerful name, the only name that really matters. Jesus is the reason we're here. Jesus is the reason this place exists. And Jesus is alive. And he wants to change your life. So come back next week as we talk about what to do with this knowledge. What do you do next? This is really just the beginning. It could be just the beginning of your changed life. So come back. And if you enjoyed service today, join us online on our socials tomorrow as we kick off the next season of daily worship. It's gonna be 15 minutes of music and content to jumpstart your day and help you to know God. Know God better, know God deeper, know him more fully. Thank you so much for being here today. Be safe on your way out and enjoy the rest of your Easter Sunday. Jesus is alive. Thank you for being here.